This week's episode of Carson Sack Podcast is brought to you by the Varsity Club in Columbus, Ohio, the most iconic bar and restaurant in Columbus, Ohio. The biggest tailgate parties always take place at the Varsity Club restaurant and bar. Since 1959, their historic restaurant in Columbus, Ohio has been the perfect place to frequent with family and friends for good food and good fun. Whether it's before or after home Buckeye games for a pizza, a drop by during happy hour for a drink, or a business meeting or class reunion in their party space, they are the place to be for great food, cold drinks, and the biggest tailgate party in the Columbus area. Area. Please note that they are 21 and over for all Ohio State football games. Hit that ish. And sorry, I knew you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Uh, <laughs> how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. Episode 62, we have a mail sack that we're going to get this episode started off with. We have a historic win by one of the greats in all of sports that I'm going to try and put into perspective for you because I think it's luster is being lost on some people. We have college football talk, NFL talk, a little college basketball talk because the um, Champions Classic, or yeah, that's think what it's called, is going to be taking place before I get to record and get out a podcast to you next week. So I'm going to give you... A bit of a bold prediction and some thoughts on what's going to happen there. And we have a little NBA talk that is going to be sprinkled in at the end. As well as college football athletes getting paid. That is also going to be at the end and what that could mean for getting the NCAA football and NCAA basketball games back and what I would like to see in those. So those are going to be more at the end. We are going to start traditionally as we do with the mail sack questions when that uh, segment is on a podcast. So let's just sit back, relax, and get right into the listener questions for this week. The first, I it's not even a single question. It's a flurry of questions. Comes all the way from out in Los Angeles, California, by way of Louisville, Kentucky, from Polly Marino, who asked, What do you think of Rise and Shine by Kylie Jenner? Um, if you did not see, I put that, my own little rendition of that, on my TikTok. Follow me on TikTok, at Carson Karras, I believe is the name. I think it is quite hilarious. I love it. She just finds so many new ways to reinvent herself, does Kylie Jenner. Then she asked, Oklahoma entrance fail. What do I guess? What do I think about that? That's happened in the past. It's probably going to happen in the future. It's one of those things that it's cool, but it is always quite dangerous because how many people drive a freaking wagon like that ever? Um, I'm normally into different type of wagons, if you know what I mean. Polly knows what I mean. Um, but besides that, yeah, the Oklahoma entrance fail, it was a scary accident, I'm glad no one was gotten seriously hurt, and they're apparently redoing and fixing the wagon that they have, which is crazy to me that they only have one wagon that they couldn't get another one, and be able to do that entrance the rest of this year, but they're taking the rest of the year off, so I understand that. She asked, who's at fault in the Oklahoma entrance? I guess it's probably the guy driving it for taking it, or lady. I don't know who was driving it. I'm not saying women are bad drivers or men are bad drivers. I really don't know who was driving it, but whoever was driving it, I guess they took it too wide, and the thing flipped over. So that's who's at fault, whoever was driving it. Next question she asks is, does Tom Brady kiss, does Tom Brady kiss his children too long? Not long enough. God forbid a man in a world where men are taught to hide their emotions and not show affection. God forbid he decides to show some affection to his kids. Um, then she asks the best costumes I've seen. I guess she's meaning Halloween costumes. Um, a couple that I've seen, I really like 
from a couple years ago, Russell Westbrook and Nick Collison when they were both on the Thunder still doing the white man can't jump. I really like the Carl Anthony Towns and the John Wall doing the Joker, but they're doing the Heath Ledger Joker, which a little puzzling. Um, seeing, I guess the idea of the Joker in any Joker costume is like rebrought up now because of the new Joker movie. But I get like, I guess they think the Heath Ledger one was better, which is fine. That's a, I'm not gonna argue that, but. Might have, would have liked to have seen them uh, do the Joaquin Phoenix Joker instead. And then one of her last questions is, the video of Dwight Howard sticking his hands up that guy's butt. Intentional or people jumping to conclusions? Um, This is going to go down such a hole, such a hole, no pun intended, here. But last year, Dwight Howard missed, the I think, all of the season with... A buttocks injury, and there are reports. Um, people have theories that he might dabble in that sort of thing, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, if you're into men, into women, whatever, I whatever, it does not make a difference to me. It certainly doesn't affect me at all what Dwight Howard is into sexually, but. Let's. I mean, if you want to try and put two and two together, what happens between two men, and what was injured on Dwight Howard last year? That's that's all I'm gonna say. I'll let your mind connect the rest. Um, I think people saw that. I don't think Dwight was doing what people are trying to infer and act like he was doing. I think it was sort of just. An accident that people are taking way out of context. But it's not a... He's not doing himself any favors to dispel the rumors if those rumors are false. I kid you not, ladies and gentlemen, at the time of recording this, Polly Marino has sent in two new questions for me to ask. So, first one, tips for ex-college athletes missing playing their sport or advice on how not to feel sad about it or miss it um i've i'm not a college athlete i guess you could say the way i got over missing playing high school football was just time this is still the first year that poly marino who was a wonderful fantastic soccer player for bellarmine university that she's not playing soccer competitively at any level since I mean since she was a child like a young child from what I've come to gather and it just takes time all time heals all wounds I know that's a shitty answer but I think that's the most correct answer and I don't shy away from embrace the like still be involved still keep up with it like I'm sure Polly does um because I think that's another way to still stay connected and still feel a part of something like being a part of a team. So don't don't shy away from still being involved, but it does suck that you're not able to play. Maybe get involved in some rec leagues out there in L.A. I'm sure that's a thing. Or go to the park and play pickup soccer or something like that. And then her last question she asked, are drinks like Gatorade or Powerade actually beneficial to athletes in your opinion or just good old-fashioned water? I prefer water. But I understand that, well, at least I'm told and have, I guess, sort of come to believe this as fact that Gatorade and Powerade have these things called electrolytes that water doesn't. And it has sodium and sugars that our body needs that water doesn't have that they replenish and keep going and all that other stuff. So if you told me to just pick one of those three, I would pick water. But I do guess, I mean, on the sidelines, at games, professional sports, they have both. They have water and they have the Powerade and they mix that into the water or they have the Gatorade and they mix that into the water. So I definitely think there is benefits to using those because why would professionals be given that? like option to do the Powerade or the Gatorade over just water if there weren't any benefits to it. So there is my very humble opinion on both of those. Uh, Polly is normally a 
frequent question asker. She took some time off two weeks ago. I'm glad, glad the, glad Polly got back into asking things. We missed her here on Carson Sack. Let's move on to some other questions. Next, we have a question from Kennedy Poston, who asks, "Do the Bengals have a shot against this bye week?" You would think so. Unfortunately, the Bengals have rendered some bad news on Andy Dalton's 32nd birthday. They have rumored to be benching him and moving on, which, all right, if you're a Bengals fan, you're not going to probably like this at all. Or you might, because I understand how most of them feel about Andy Dalton, where they feel that he's just not a good quarterback. He's a very good NFL quarterback. He was behind the eight ball already when you drafted him from TCU. You didn't like him when you drafted him then. He decided he came out, I think, with very little fan support behind him, and won games despite the situations he were in, he was in with Marvin Lewis at most of the times in his career holding him back, with AJ Green being hurt on again, off again throughout his entire tenure as a quarterback. And yes, A.J. Green, having him and all pro receivers certainly did help. But um, most of the time there, you could say that A.J. Green was literally their only offensive weapon behind Andy Dalton. So issues there with only having one guy. I think Andy Dalton getting run out of the starting quarterback position this year when the offensive line is terrible. He's been without A.J. Green this entire year. That defense is shitty. It's a new head coach. I think Cincinnati, the Bengals, everyone does needs to I demand to treat Andy Dalton better with more respect because he is an above good quarterback in this NFL he still could potentially be and have a spark somewhere with another team I'm I don't think he's going to get that chance because as of now at the trade deadline it has passed today he wasn't traded neither was AJ Green it makes absolutely no sense to me why you wouldn't run those two out there in week 10 after the bye week when they're both back and together and they can put some pieces of that offense that was not bad last year by any means together. But, I mean, Zach Taylor must know something um, that I don't know. But to answer your question, um, the Bengals should win the bye week despite losing their starting quarterback for more of the past – excuse me. The Bengals should win the bye week despite losing their quarterback for more than the better part of the last decade. I hope that answers your question, Kennedy. The next and final question comes from Trent Revelette, who asks, Do you think Joaquin Phoenix's performance in the Joker will at all change the way people look at Tiger Woods' 82nd win at the Zozo? Absolutely. Zozo rhymes with Bozo who was a clown, just like the Joker. Am I connecting any dots for you? I'm not going to draw the line for you. It's not my place as a podcaster. But I'm going to just put the dots on the map right there for you. Tiger Woods wins the Zozo. Rhymes with Bozo. A clown. Joker. Is Tiger Woods the greatest villain i.e. the joker you tell me i'll put the dots on the piece of paper for you i'll help you i'll put the dots from point a to point b from the start to the end it's your your choice if you want to connect those dots just think a little bit think a little bit deeper be woke for a change listeners thank you for the question trent Now that the mail sack is closed for this week, it'll be back in two weeks, but that is a lovely segue here for me to talk about Tiger Woods' career 82nd win that he had this past weekend. Um, Entering the week, questions about his knee. It was revealed that he had knee surgery at the end of this past year um, for the PGA Tour, had surgery, comes into Japan where the Zozo Championship was happening, played Pretty eh in the Skins game, which that happened on Monday, which was just sort of like this event that garnered some interest, whatever. And there were a lot of questions about what Tiger was going to do, not only 
this week, but down the line um, in the President's Cup, which he is the captain, and I will get to that at the end. But comes into this week with all the question marks and wins the tournament. Ties Sam Snead's record of 82 career PGA Tour victories. And I'm not even going to get into all the ways you could cut down or discredit Sam Snead's victories and make Tiger the already number one in career victories. I'm not going to do that. Um, All Sam Snead could do was play in the tournaments that he played in and win no matter the circumstances. And that's what he did. And I think at 1989, the PGA actually did go back and sat down and said, oh, this one counts, this one doesn't count. I I am not the person of the with any authority to go back and try and judge. If you want to do that, there are some questionable things where, I mean, uh, there was one where there were only four people um, in, the act, in the whole tournament. One where it was only 18 holes. I mean, there's questions for everything there, but we're not talking about Sam Snead right now. We're talking about Tiger Woods. And I think this win, because of when it happened... Um, being in sort of that weird middle ground where it's still the calendar year of 2019, but the 2019 golf season, PGA season, PGA Tour season ended in the earlier fall, late summer, and technically it's the 2020 PGA Tour season right now. And this time of the year and the calendar for Golf always seems to get lost in the shuffle of the bigger sports going on right now. Football, college, football, um, NCAA basketball starting up, the MLB playoffs, whatever. So I don't think Tiger's win is getting enough recognition as it should. And these are just some numbers to put into perspective. Tiger Woods has 33 PGA Tour victories in his 30s. Okay, let me follow that up with this, which I think is insane. Tiger Woods has 46 wins in his 20s. Now, to put that in comparison, just 46, so all the wins in his 20s, would rank him 7th on the PGA Tour's all-time win list. If Tiger Woods called it a career at age 30, he would have had the 7th most wins all-time in PGA Tour history. Um, 15 of his wins... Obviously, major championships. We look at that, the Grand Slam, three times. Um, 18, the number of world golf championships Tiger Woods have won. The second most, Dustin Johnson with six. This next one, I think, is insane. 10, the number of seasons Woods has won at least five times. That's a PJ Tour record. Sam Snead is second on the list with eight five-plus win seasons. Let's just sit down and think 10 times that guy won five tournaments in a season. That's incredible. Now we look at this as a whole, and this speaks to his longevity. Over 359 career PJ Tour starts. Tiger Woods' winning percentage is 22.8. I know that... That's very difficult to round all the way up to 25 because of just math and numbers and everything. But you could say just about one out of four times over his career, Tiger Woods was playing, he was winning. Continuing on, 243 is the aggregate number of strokes Tiger has won his tour stroke play titles by. Comes out to a little over three shots per win and then four times in his 82 victories tiger has won by at least 10 shots just to continue on here tiger's longest winning streak in his 82 victories was seven tournaments in a row which spanned parts of 2006 and 2007 no one else since 1953 has ever won more than three pga tour events in a row And then the cherry on top here, three is the number of Woods wins in his last 14 PGA Tour starts. Tiger is going to turn 44 at the end of this year, and he doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. 
Um, I was just being a dick with my dad the other day. I saw this tweet, and I does it concern anybody else that Tigers' last wins have been all against limited fields? Just something to think about. That's obviously, if you heard me rant about how impressive I think Tiger Woods is, you would know I'm being just a dick about that. I don't think that's anything to scoff at. Now, appreciate the greatness that is Tiger Woods, but I want to touch on something that... Um, they asked about at the Zozo Championship victory press conference. Did the captain, um, Tiger Woods, notice the player, Tiger Woods, his performance this week? No offense to the President's Cup, what it is, what it stands for, all of that. I think it's a second-rate Ryder Cup. I'll go out on the record and say that. Tiger Woods is more valuable to the PGA and himself when he is playing in real tournaments, not team events like that. Go over there, be a captain, don't make it about yourself, give the spot to a young, deserving guy, maybe a Matthew Wolf, um, maybe someone like that, if you want to just make someone's like year and just instill that confidence and grow the game even more, all of that, stay healthy, rehab, and play in actual tournaments rather than second-rate Ryder Cups. And I, I don't say second-rate Ryder Cups as this negative connotation. The President's Cup is a fun event. It's a way to get and grow the game across different continents and countries and things like like It's not something to scoff at, and I don't mean to come off as someone that doesn't appreciate what it is, because I do, but... I don't need Tiger Woods to go and play in the President's Cup this year. I just don't. Stay healthy, continue to work on your game, your shot, anything else you need to, mental, whatever, and just get ready for the 2020 season year next year. I don't need you playing in the President's Cup, Tiger, but if you want to, just be smart about it. That's all I got. We now go to some college football talk after that Tiger discussion. And first off, right away, I want to get to a couple of games from last week. The first big one, the upset that took place, Kansas State beating Oklahoma. If you go back to episode 61, you will say I did not predict the Kansas State win, but I said they would be able to keep it close. They kept it closer than what most people predicted and expected, and they ended up pulling off the victory. Um, Sam, oh, Skyler Thompson, excuse me. Um, goes out, rushes for four touchdowns, but the big big thing in this one was Oklahoma's inability to stop anything that Kansas State was doing. Thompson threw the ball through the air, 213 yards, has the four touchdowns on the ground, and I don't want to make it all about Oklahoma's defense inability because obviously Kansas State was able right there with them to be able to score and put up points. So it, as much as it needs to be about Oklahoma's um, inability, it needs to be about Kansas State's ability to stay and score with Oklahoma. For Oklahoma, Jalen Hurts, only one touchdown through the air, but 395 yards, three touchdowns on the ground. C.D. Lamb had a big day as well, 135 yards on a touchdown. Oklahoma was just... They came up against a team that could put up points with them, and the defense for them crumbled, and... Kansas State pulls out the victory. Um, Kansas State is not a bad team by any means. I don't think this eliminates Kansas State, um, excuse me, Oklahoma from the college football um, contention, the playoff, but it certainly does not help the Big 12 chances with how strong and the how strong the SEC looks and the I don't want to say bias, but the bit of Grace that the college football playoff committee shows SEC teams. Um, just something to keep an eye on. Don't think Oklahoma is completely out of it, but needs you need to be real, real careful the rest of the way if you're Oklahoma. Put up style points, win by as much as you can, and just hope for the best. That's really all you can do. Um, next, we have the Wisconsin-Ohio State game that I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to attend with a couple of my buddies, uh, Jack and Pat Muldoon. Appreciate the hospitality that their family and those two showed me this past weekend. Um, don't know if you're listening. 
Hope you are. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Had a lovely time up there. Um, got to go to a couple of their family tailgates. Got to go to Varsity Club after the game. Hence the sponsorship and shout out that I gave them at the start. Met a couple of wonderful middle-aged mothers that we got to have a great time with dancing the evening away with them on the dance floor at Varsity Club before we adjourned to some pizza and the cats came back at the uh, condo we were at. But back to the game itself. Ohio State, I'm so close to like being sold on this team. I have my reservations and I don't know why. It's just, to me... When I watch a Clemson or an Alabama, I don't want to play them because I know they're good. I'm hoping that this year there are the, like, they have the same feeling that I feel. They don't want to play us, hopefully. Everyone says we're one of, if not the most complete teams, and I think Saturday really showed that, hey, People are probably right about us because Wisconsin's defense was considered one of, if not the best, in the country. Jonathan Taylor, probably the best running back in the country. And they were able to stop him completely for on 20 carries, 52 yards. Wasn't a factor at all in the past game that I thought he could be and I think should have been. And they might have had better success. Chase Young... Four sacks on the day, um, five tackles for loss, a forced fumble. Um, J.K. Dobbins, 163 yards, two touchdowns. Justin Fields, even on a slow, non-impressive day, when you look at numbers for Justin Fields, was still able to complete his passes for 167 yards and two touchdowns in a rain drenched game Chris Alave 93 yards and two touchdowns this team is deep at every position their skill positions are fast um the quarterback play has been tremendous leaps and bounds beyond what I thought it had the the capability to be right off the bat so quickly so far into the year really only two games left that are really going to test these guys Penn State um the November 23rd, and then that following week where they go to uh, Michigan, who is sort of looking like they're turning turning around. But this game, being in person, and just, I don't, I don't want to doubt this team this whole entire year and get to the playoff and them have a chance and maybe possibly win it all and me look back on the year and say, I can't believe I doubted these guys so long. But I also don't want to get into thinking they're way better than they actually are and get disappointed at the end of the year either. So I'm in that little bit of dilemma, but how can you not be, and I like think a little bit, and I think on a grander scale, analysts and people like that are saying that they are the best team. I think they are one of the best teams and right now should without question be in the college football playoff. As the number one seed, I can be talked into it. I'm just, I'm not saying I'm not sold on this team. I am sold. I would, I would back this team and support this team no matter what against whoever they play. That's an obvious. For, I just want, I don't want to be too. Um, overconfident in this team because they even and I wasn't saying they haven't even been tested, but they have been tested. Michigan State they started off slow. This game all, all the way up until halftime, really, when it was still just ten zero, and then after half when it was ten to seven and Wisconsin scored um, on their pass play, they were tested and it was a close game and they made adjustments and they come out and they scored. And win the game 38-7 to and shut one of, if not the best players in college football, completely down to 52 yards. Um, it's I, I know I'm talking about this game at length, at Ohio State at length, but it's impressive. And I think if myself 
and the rest of college football, which I don't think they aren't taking notice, and I certainly am taking notice. But if anyone had questions at all about this team, I definitely think this game against Wisconsin answers them. They do have a, a bye week this week. Rest up, get guys healthy. They play Maryland next week and a couple other guy, uh, teams where they shouldn't really have issues. That Those games have been the issues for Ohio State the last couple years. This team doesn't seem like it's going to be that team where it's going to get complacent and slip up, but we have no, we never know. Anything could happen. Crazier things have happened. Nobody thought they were going to lose to Purdue last year, and it did end up happening. So stay focused these next couple weeks and just take care of business then. Um, moving on now, we had an SEC battle between LSU and Auburn. Joe Burrow was limited to one touchdown, did force a turnover. Auburn hung with LSU throughout this entire game, even with it being at LSU. Bo Nix, um, 157 yards, a touchdown interception. Didn't have as bad of his game as I thought he was going to have, but Burrow, Joe Burrow is just good. He's the transfer. I say it every week, but the transformation that offense and he has made from last year to this year is staggering. Um, LSU's defense continues to improve and show why it's one of the best in the country. Um, I have nothing else really to say about this because it's the same thing every week. When there is a game where you think maybe they could struggle or anything like that, they just answer all the questions and continue to improve and continue to just be good. Moving on, Penn State goes to Mich- Miss- <clears throat> Michigan State and handles that. Texas goes to TCU and loses. I don't know if I said that game was going to be close or not, but... Texas's inability to stop anybody was shown here. And then TCU's defense under Gary Patterson, as it always is, tough, physical, technically sound. They were able to turn Sam Ellinger over with four interceptions and shut down the run game completely, which made Texas one-dimensional, and that is the way to beat them. Make them one-dimensional, which TCU was able to do. Uh, Minnesota gets a big victory over Maryland to remain undefeated. Oklahoma State finally goes into a top 25 team and gets the victory over Iowa State. I did say that game would be closer. They had let me down so many times this year, but Oklahoma State does end up winning. Um, the other big game that I know out of nowhere I saw at all, I don't think anybody really saw this, Michigan beats Notre Dame Saturday night and absolutely dominates them. They win 45-14. to Shea Patterson, only 100 yards, only threw the ball 12 times. Again, it was raining its dick off, and that's justifiable. But only completed six passes, 100 yards, two touchdowns. Haskins on the ground for Michigan, 149 yards, and the defense was incredible for Michigan. Their offensive play calling looked the best it has all year. Um, really one of Harbaugh's signature wins so far at Michigan. And maybe a turning point for this entire season for Michigan. Something to keep their eyes on. I don't want to take anything away from this win for Michigan. But I think it's... I think you could go maybe 60-40. Where it was Notre Dame's inability to do anything on either side of the ball. And their just lack of just any competency for football in this game with Michigan's skill and what they were able to do. I think it's 60% Notre Dame's fault, 40% Michigan's fault, and that's just me conservatively speaking. And then my dark horse college football playoff prediction, Oregon survives in a close game with a game-winning field goal in Pac-12 after dark. Oregon wins 37-35. Washington State was able to keep Justin Herbert out of the end zone, throwing the ball, but Verdell, the running back for Oregon, had himself a day. 257 yards and three touchdowns. And then Oregon's defense, which again continues to be one of the more slept-on, better defenses, not only in the Pac-12, but in the entire country, was able to force two interceptions against Gordon for Washington State. So, 
Oregon keeps their college football playoff chances alive. I'm looking quite smart about that right now. They're seventh, I believe, in the new AP poll after the adjustments and the losses. So just they have to win out. It's a possibility, and they do need some help with a couple SEC teams and other teams like that. But Oregon Ducks, they're not out of it. Yet Now let's move to week 10. I'm going to keep this a little bit shorter because this episode is already going a little bit long. So week 10, a very quick, brief look ahead. So week 10 in college football, a big game on Thursday night. West Virginia, 3-4 and four on the year. Under underperforming on the year but goes to 12th ranked Baylor. Baylor resurging so far this year. I think Baylor does end up winning this game. But does keep it a little bit closer, but expect a good, high-scoring Big 12 game in this one. But ultimately, Baylor does end up getting the victory. Michigan goes to Maryland. Michigan's a 21-point favorite. Again, this is not a gambling podcast whatsoever. But Maryland can put up points. And I think maybe Michigan could be a little hungover from their big win last week. And they could be right for a close game here. Maryland can put up points in a hurry quickly. They showed that at the start of the year. They've sort of hit a wall in the middle of their schedule so far. They need a big rebound game. This could be it. Um, At home for Maryland. Close to what people expect. But Michigan does end up pulling out the win, I do believe. Um, Virginia Tech goes to Notre Dame. Notre Dame falling all the way to 16th in the rankings. Expect a rebound game for Notre Dame here, and they take out their aggression on a talented but overmatched Virginia Tech team. Uh, The biggest game that I'm surprised isn't college game day, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, Georgia goes to Florida, 8th in the country. Georgia, 6th in the country. Florida, Florida is overrated. Florida is not as good as 6th in the country. When you go and almost lose to Kentucky with Sawyer Smith at quarterback, um, holy shit. And also, I'll just talk about Kentucky real quick. Last week, um, a massive, massive win by Kentucky with Lynn Bowden, who had the most rush yards in a game by an SEC player this year last week against Missouri. I picked Missouri to win that. I am more than happy to admit I was wrong. Kentucky was able to come out and dominate on both sides of the ball. Kentucky's defense has grown leaps and bounds from where they started the year at. Um, tackling and their front seven and their secondary has all improved incredibly so much. Um Again, this wraps and ties back into Florida, barely being able to beat them with Sawyer Smith at quarterback. Um, the game does take place in Jacksonville, doesn't it? Or does it take place in the Swamp? I'm not. Um, TIA Bankfield, which is not the Swamp. So I this just seems like a game that Georgia... It, it has to be. Like, Georgia's a six-and-a-half-point favorite right now. Again, not a gambling podcast, but I just feel like this Georgia team is much better than this Florida team. And I think it's really going to show on Saturday, and Georgia does end up getting the victory. Um, Moving down, ninth in the country, Utah goes to Washington. I think Washington, with Jacob Eason, um, has a big day and is able to beat Utah. I don't think Utah's defense is going to be able to slow down Washington's offense enough, and I don't think Utah's offense is going to be able to score enough points to keep up with Washington, especially at home. So I'm going to take Washington over Utah in this one. Um... Shit, continuing on, SMU goes to Memphis. SMU has been the surprise team this year out of the AAC. Um, Butchel for them at quarterback, 235 yards, 20 touchdowns. Uh, Jones on the ground for them, 14 touchdowns on the ground. Um, On the opposite side of the ball for Memphis, you have White at quarterback, 2,100 yards, 20 touchdowns, and Gainwell on the ground, 11 touchdowns. Uh, This is going to be a high-scoring game. This is where game day is at. I cannot wait for this game. It is going to be electric. I am rooting for Memphis, and I think they might... They... They will pull off the semi-upset in this game, and I think it has a lot to do with that being at Memphis. So Memphis over the Mustangs in this AAC close, tight matchup. Continuing on, Oregon goes to USC. 
This game scares me a little bit as an Oregon supporter, but I think Justin Herbert has a big day and in the end makes a few crucial plays and they are able to survive a tough scare from USC. And that is going to do it for Week 10 preview on college football for this week's Carson Sack. Let us now shift our focus to the NFL. Um, Let's talk about some Week 9 matchups. On Thursday, you have the Cardinals going and hosting the 49ers, who are still undefeated after a brilliant performance last week. Uh, Nick Bosa with a couple sacks and the interception last week. The 49ers are dominating on both sides of the ball. Tevin Coleman with four touchdowns last week. Jimmy Garoppolo looks great. I say all of this to preface this and say the Cardinals without, not even without, there are some questions. Maybe David Johnson plays. I give them a little bit of a better chance to upset the 49ers this week with David Johnson in the lineup, but he is still a little questionable. Um, they do they did sign and trade for Kenyon Drake, who could be in line for some major work. If David Johnson was healthy and playing, I would say the Cardinals maybe have a chance, but I think that the 49ers defensive line is going to be able to just pin their ears back and get after Kyler Murray and make him uncomfortable, force the rookie quarterback into some mistakes, and the 49ers offense should take care of business and get the win. So I take the 49ers over the Cardinals on Thursday night. The Texans go to the Jaguars. The te- both a huge game. Both these teams need a win to keep pace with the Colts and the AFC South. The Texans losing J.J. Watt last week, but winning a- last week uh, the game overall. And the Jaguars winning last week as well. It's going to be imperative. Uh, it's over in London, I believe. Imperative for the Jaguars to get Leonard Fournette going in this game. Um, this is a tough one. Shit. Let's go with the Texans. I think Deshaun Watson can make enough plays in this game and be able to impact enough where the Texans win. But obviously, if Leonard Fournette is going and they the Jaguars can keep the ground game going and control time possession and keep Deshaun Watson off the field, then they have a great chance to win this. But ultimately, I do think Deshaun Watson makes enough plays for the Texans that they do get the win. Next year, the Redskins go into the Bills. The Bills coming off a loss last week. The Redskins obviously coming off a loss as well. Um, I think the Bills get back to the winning ways, and the Redskins are going to run into a buzzsaw with the Bills' defense, so the Bills do end up getting the victory. Next, the Vikings go to the Chiefs. The Chiefs coming off a loss on Sunday Night Football, and the Vikings coming off a win. It's I keep saying it's hard to go into Arrowhead and get a win, but teams just keep doing it. And without Pat Mahomes and the Vikings' defense being revamped and Kirk Cousins looking better than what he has in many years and possibly getting Adam Thielen back to compliment Dalvin Cook that they have and Stephon Diggs and that defense as well that I just mentioned I think the Vikings go into Arrowhead and get a win against the Chiefs and Matt Moore and Matt Moore and that offense it's it's no Patrick Mahomes I will say that but Andy Reid is one of the best at getting the most out of backup quarterbacks and that game against the Packers Matt Moore didn't do terrible and the Chiefs defense did pretty good at, I mean, they didn't stop Aaron Rodgers. I don't think anybody's going to be able to do that. But they were able to, at times, make make plays. But, again, Aaron Jones had the, his way with him, and so did Aaron Rodgers at times as well. But the Chiefs defense showed some signs of life. But, again, I think the Vikings go to Arrowhead and hand the Chiefs another loss. Next, you have the Jets going to the Dolphins. I I could care less about this guy. Oh, excuse me. I couldn't. Apparently, it's I couldn't, not I could. It's I could not. My Instagram name is a hoax. It's a lie. Um, the Jets are the better team. I do think they go to the Dolphins and get the win. I they mean I have to. Sam Darnold needs to get ahead, at, get his head out of his ass, and play better. And that defense has some pieces they can build around, and it's not terrible. Um. The Jets need to do better and should be better than 1-7, what the record shows. I get Sam Darnold um, was out 
the majority of the game so far this year, and that Patriots game was god-awful. But the Jets should be better than what they are. And I guess they're going to get the win against the Dolphins. Next, you have the Bears going to the Eagles. Both these teams need a win real bad. The Bears are sticking with Mitchell Trubisky. I don't hate that. The Eagles secondary is looking shakier and shakier. If there is ever a game and a time where Mitchell Trubisky could rekindle some magic that he had last year, it's against his Eagles secondary. I think he could, but the front seven is so good at limiting the run on the Eagles side that they could take away the run game with David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen and make it so obvious that Mitchell's going to have to throw the ball that that could be and run into some problems. So I'm going to take the Eagles over the Bears in a close, much-needed win. Next, you have the Colts going to the Steelers. The Colts are quietly on a roll and looking like one of the better, best-kept secrets in the entire NFL, not just the AFC. They go to the Steelers where Mason Rudolph looked shaky in his first game back from his concussion um, through a couple through an interception last night, almost a pair of interceptions against the Dolphins defense, who was pretty shitty. I think the Colts go into Lam- uh, not Lambeau, into Heinz Field and dominate on both sides of the ball and get after Mason Rudolph and force him to make some tough decisions. The Steelers could be without James Conner, which would be, I think, seals their fate. If he doesn't play, I don't think there's a chance the Steelers win, so I'm going to go with the Colts. Next year, the Titans going to the Panthers. The Panthers coming off the loss last week against the 49ers. The Titans looking okay with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback, but I think it's a big rebound week for Kyle Allen and that Panthers team, and they end up getting the win over the Panthers. The Lions go to the Raiders. I think this screams trap game for the Lions. I think the Raiders rebound and get a win in this game over the Lions. The Bucks go to the Seahawks. Um, the Seahawks are going to win this game. They are going to turn and f- turn Jameis Winston over multiple times, and it's going. It could get ugly. I will say that. It could get ugly. I think Seahawks big over the Buccaneers. The Browns go to the Broncos. I'm going to hop on my Browns soapbox here very quickly. This is a must-win game. You're through the hard part of your schedule, the opening part. If you're a Browns fan, you're through it. Your your record is 2-5. and five. It is what it is. Come back, rebound. You are going up against a backup quarterback this week um, with Joe Flacco out. A must-win game. If you lose this game... I understand you would have to win eight games in a row, be 10-6, and six, and possibly even get a wild card. It's hard as hell to win eight games in a row in the NFL. I get that. It, it would not look good. You have to win this game. For what looks like the issues with Freddie Kitchens, I'm not pushing the panic button on him yet. He can still turn around. But I the first time I questioned it, and questioned him was this week. The play calling has been atrocious. The decision making he has made with his challenges and his play calling has been awful. I get you're not going to know that you that play where Julian Edelman catches and sort of fumbles the ball is going to happen, but when you challenge and lose on a pass interference call that no one has won on so far this year, that's on you as a head coach. It's little discipline things like penalties, which I understand the coach isn't getting the penalties, but there's got to be some accountability, and players have to be held responsible for the mistakes that they are making and the yards and the penalties they are costing this team, and it doesn't seem like it's there. And for the love of God, I don't care about force the issue with Odell Beckham Jr. He had, I think, 7 or 10 targets, 5 receptions. That is nowhere near enough. Force the fucking issue and get him involved more. I get it was raining in Foxborough and you had to force the run. And Nick Chubb and that offense was doing good things with him. but And he did have his turnovers. I get that. But get Odell involved. You traded for him. You traded a lot for him. He's one of, if not the best receivers in the NFL when he is on. Get him involved and get him going. Turn the season around. Get your head out of your ass and go win this game in Denver. It is a must win. I hate that there's a must win already for the Browns in Week 9, but this is it. Do I think they win this game ultimately? 
Yes, I do. Moving on. You have the Packers going to the Chargers. I think the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, um, they Devontae Adams is due to be back now any week with from his toe injury. Both of these teams are going in two completely opposite directions. I understand the Chargers got a much-needed win last week against the Bears, but uh, Phillip Rivers and that offense look shaky. Um, nobody is talking about it, but Phillip Rivers is slowly turning into what Eli Manning did in New York, and that needs to be a topic of conversation that more people are having. Um Packers go to the Chargers and get the victory. Patriots host the Ravens on Sunday Night Football. Excuse me, flip that. The Ravens host the Patriots on Sunday Night Football. This is going to be a great game. And I think that the Ravens are going to upset the Patriots. I think the Patriots... I don't want to say they're going to take this game lightly whatsoever. But I think this game is going to mean way more to the Ravens than it does the Patriots. And I think the Ravens' secondary and defense are going to take some chances. And the Ravens' D-line is going to be able to get after Tom Brady. And when Tom Brady has struggled in the past, it's been when he's been under duress and under pressure. The secondary with the Ravens likes to take chances and gamble on interceptions. I think they'll be able to do that and make some plays. And also, it's going to be a fantastic matchup between... Lamar Jackson and that offense against the Patriots' defense, and I think that Lamar Jackson is so talented and will be able to make so many plays that he will be able to single-handedly keep the Ravens in this game against the Patriots and ultimately make enough plays for the Ravens to upset the Patriots. Moving on to the Monday night game, you have the Cowboys going to the Giants. The Cowboys facing the Giants now for the first time with Daniel Jones at quarterback. Expect the Giants to come out firing. Keep it close for a half, maybe three quarters. But I think Ezekiel Elliott and that offense is going to be able to wear down the Giants. And the defense for the Cowboys is going to be able to get enough pressure on him for some turnovers. Um, Amari Cooper and Dak will at some point probably have a couple big connections because the secondary for the Giants is extremely lackluster and the Cowboys pull out the win on Monday night football. That does it for the football talk on this week's Carson Sack. Um, I do want to talk about the NCAA getting the payers potentially getting paid going forward. So the NCAA today, they... The NCAA Board and Governors started the process to enhance name, image, and likeness opportunities, which means college players could start making money off of their image and likeness, which means that the NCAA football and potentially basketball games could be brought back in. Before I get to that, I just want to say, and in no way is this me downplaying what has happened, because it is a monumental, huge step that happened today, but... The NCAA has still not done anything. They have just simply started the discussion, working towards the what should be the inevitable and the right decision to pay the college players off of their image and likeness from what universities already make millions of dollars off of. But the NCAA will find a way to fuck this up somehow and probably put so many guidelines and parameters and restrictions on way players can use and profit off of their image and likeness that it'll make it nearly impossible for players to actually do so. And that sucks, but being just a fan of collegiate sports and knowing how the NCAA works and handles things and how First off, it's probably going to take fucking forever for them to get done. They said they, they're they aiming for 2021 season. Maybe. That is that is the best case scenario. I would, I would be shocked if that's done so early. But like I said, the NCAA has a history of handling things poorly and not doing things in a timely manner. And again, I think they're going to put so many restrictions that it's ultimately going to make this so difficult for players to actually do. But the big way that they can profit off of their image and likeness is the NCAA EA Sports video games, which since 2014, college football games has not been made and people have been hounding them to make. Let me shift focus now 
to where if this game was actually redone and rebooted and made, what I want in those games. There are so many players that didn't get their chance to be in those games. You can look at Lamar Jackson. You can look at Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, so many other great players. Um, if Braxton Miller, Cardale Jones, JT Barrett, um, UK fans, Benny Snell, Josh Allen, all these guys, and just that's just the local people would know everything like that. You could speak to so many more, Sony Michelle, anybody like so many players that didn't get to be in those games. I think you need to go through and add like a Heisman moment type thing where in the game, one of the game modes can be a like go back and play the biggest games from the Heisman season of the Heisman winner or go back and have rosters that you could download or whatever just so there can be that catch up that's my biggest thing and my other biggest gripe is if you're going to bring back the college football game bring back the college basketball game because I have missed that thing since the 2010 Blake Griffin cover of that game bring it fucking back because I want it I love that game bring it back if you want get 2k to do it and they can blow your mind with what they have because 2k is not as good as nba live the ea sports version of the nba game i don't give a shit just get it done bring them back we all want them we all need them but the 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 video games are only a process and a step of the larger more important thing that hopefully the ncaa handles and does something they have never done before handles it well and does it right um but if they do that is what i want in the video games moving on i am going to go to basketball now a little bit i know this episode's running a little bit long thank you for sticking with me if you're still listening it's going to be a quick little thing here Um, The NBA, the one thing I want to talk about is there are comments going around from the next organization that Kyrie's mood swings are a bit of a deterring factor and make them uneasy. I am going to go out on a limb here, probably read too far into this, but hear me out. Kyrie Irving was teammates with Kevin Love. Kevin Love, this past year, put out a fantastic article on the Players' Tribune about mental health, and he dealt more with depression and anxiety and things like that, but bipolar disorder, I'm not saying Kyrie Irving has bipolar disorder, but mood swings are a a, a symptom of bipolar disorder. And I'm not saying, again, I cannot stress this enough, that Kyrie Irving has that, but If you are in the Nets organization and you want to help facilitate and build and grow trust with Kyrie Irving, approach this situation with some fucking character and class and don't be overbearing, but offer Kyrie some help. So maybe talk to a counselor, just listen to him, give him some options. That is it. Like, again, and if he doesn't accept it, that's fine, but offer it to him. It shows, hey, You might have this issue, but you are our guy. You are on our team. We appreciate you coming to this city. We are invested in you. We want you here. We want you to finish your career as a net. I think that will go uh, such a long way with Kyrie because of these mood swings and all this that they want to talk about, about that he has questions and concerns about the Nets organization show him that you are invested in him and you want the best for him again I am reading extremely far into this and I'm making assumptions but doing something like that can probably solve so many things and if that involves if he's not even close with Kevin Love then don't do it but Reach out to Kevin Love and maybe... I highly doubt Kevin Love, if presented with the opportunity to help Kyrie Irving, is going to be like, no, fuck Kyrie Irving. I'm not going to do that. I understand that's probably not normally done where teams facilitate and call on other players from other teams to do that, but just make it an option, and I think it goes an extremely long way. Um, 
one thing that I do need to continue talking about with the NBA, um, Ryan Moore sent in a mail sack question that I forgot to get to. I apologize for that, but I'm going to answer it here because it is NBA related. He asks, will the Warriors make the playoffs or should they, or should they just tank? The Warriors look terrible against the Thunder, and the Thunder are surprising a lot of people with Shea Gilgis-Alexander and the rest of that team playing extremely well so far. Um, they were not, the Warriors had no answer whatsoever, but the next night they come back against the Jazz, I believe, or the Bucks. I don't remember right off, but they come out and they put up a shit ton of points. I'll tell you right now, the Warriors are going to make the playoffs. They are going to go far in the playoffs. Nine other players are 23 or younger, extremely youthful. They will continue to grow and get better this season. If anybody out there is selling Warrior stocks right now after what has been, I don't even think, two weeks of the NBA season, if you're selling, I'm fucking buying. Um, I want this. Steph Curry was the first unanimous MVP. They add D'Angelo Russell. They have Draymond Green. Those are three NBA All-Stars. Three All-NBA players right there. Draymond Green, a Defensive Player of the Year candidate year in and year out. D'Angelo Russell growing into his game and getting better and better week by week, year by year in the game. He's going to find himself, his role in this team. Jordan Poole is going to get better. The rest of the team and needs to step up. But back to my original point. Steph Curry isn't going to just fall off. Steve Kerr is one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in the NBA. I get you can say it's pretty easy to coach a team with those guys on it, and especially when you had Kevin Durant there. Who couldn't mess that up? Who couldn't win championships with him, with those guys? Steve Kerr did. He didn't fuck it up. And I think now, getting back into it, he is going to have to work harder, but he is still one of the best coaches in the NBA. Steph Curry doesn't just fall off. He still is capable of putting up those MVP numbers. Steve Kerr, one of the best coaches. Daniel Russell is what he is. Draymond, Defensive Player of the Year candidate, year in and year out. If you're selling Warrior stocks, I'm buying. I want all of them. Give them to me. Do the Warriors make the playoffs or should they just tank? Ryan, I'm offended you asked this. They are going to make the playoffs. They are going to make a run in the playoffs. Thank you very much. Alright, going to wrap this up pretty quickly here. I mentioned I was going to talk about the NSA basketball season starting because I wasn't um, going to be able to record before the Champions Classic happens next week. Kansas plays Duke 3 versus 4 in the early game. I think Duke goes out and wins that game. Um, Trey Jones coming back is going to be huge for them, and I just like what Duke has this year. My other bold prediction for this happens in the next game. Number one, Michigan State goes up against Kentucky. Kentucky, without Nick Richards, potentially um, was lost in the Georgetown exhibition game on Sunday. Um, highly doubt he plays in the Kentucky State exhibition game this Friday. Um, if he does play, that's huge. If not, Kentucky's going to have to go small, and that, I think, favors Kentucky because their small ball is going to be extremely fast, going to be able to get up and down the court quickly, all that good stuff. My bold prediction here is... Emmanuel Quickly isn't really the point guard. I guess you could say Ashton Higgins is the point guard and um, Quickly is like the shooting guard. Whatever you want to call that. My bold prediction here is Emmanuel Quickly is going to outplay Cassius Winston in this game. Cassius Winston is one of, if not the best, players in college basketball this year. Probably the best point guard. Um, a senior coming back for Tom Izzo in Michigan State. Again, I know it's hard to... Compare, I guess, if you want to say, Cash Winston as a point guard to Quickly, who technically you could say is a point guard, but plays more like a shooting guard right now. But everything Quickly has done and showed so far this offseason and in the exhibition game so far has looked impressive and looked like he could be the guy. Hagens has looked good as well. It's going to be interesting to see. How Kentucky is, if they are without Nick Richards, how they can hopefully implement a small ball lineup and force the issue and force the pace and hopefully get Michigan State out in transition where at times um, they could be uncomfortable. But again, this first game of the year, it's a long season. That's my bold prediction. I think Kentucky does somehow end up squeak away. But even if even if Kentucky doesn't, uh, 
Cal, my team's young. I got such young guys. Long way to go. Long season. All this. Um, and you could see, really, I don't think I can almost confidently say I don't think um, what happened to Kentucky last year in the Champions Classic against Duke is going to happen this year. But you never know. But I just don't foresee it happening. Um, and then on that same Tuesday night, St. Mary's, my Gales, 20th in the country, goes to Wisconsin. Let's go, Gales. Come on, baby. Get a win against Whiskey one time for me, baby. Let's go, Gales. In closing, I know I didn't talk about the World Series. It's going on right now as I'm recording this. Game 6, Houston is up 2-1. to one. If... I can't comment really any further because uh, I just I don't want to predict and whatever. So the f- aftermath, the World Series will be over by the next time I record episode 63. I will talk about what has happened in the World Series. It's going to be over by then. I'll talk about it then. This episode is longer than I expected. Thank you for listening. Um, like, rate, review, subscribe, all that other good shit on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever else you get your podcast. Thank you for listening to Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. And as we always end here on the sack, we will be seeing you.